Welcome to the Salem Fields Community Church Podcast of the Weekly Message. We hope that you find this podcast personally helpful, and we also encourage you to share the subscription link found at salemfields.com podcast with your friends that might be able to use some practical advice and encouragement. Today, uh, we're starting our new series, as you saw, called uh, The Silent Killers. Uh, you know, strangely, the title for this series, I knew what I wanted to do, but couldn't. the title sometimes is the hardest thing, and as I thought about uh, a title, I thought about carbon monoxide and... and uh, how it kills people. So I did a little research on it, and, uh, and I discovered that each year in America, more than 150 people die from accidental, non-fire-related carbon monoxide poisoning associated with consumer products. Now, carbon monoxide, often called the silent killer, is a gas that you cannot see, you cannot taste it, you cannot smell it. But exposure to undetected undetected high levels of carbon carbon monoxide can be fatal. Now, like carbon monoxide, there are silent killers that can creep into our lives that can kill our relationship with God and kill our relationship with others. You can't see them. You can't smell them. You can't taste them. and, and, And they creep in before you know it but they are deadly. Unlike carbon monoxide, it is not an external attack. Carbon monoxide is an external attack that attacks us, uh, our bodies. Uh, This silent killer that we're talking about comes from within. In, uh, In a now famous Pogo cartoon, Pogo said, we have met the enemy and he is us. Now today we're going to look at the number one silent killer, and that is pride. That's that psalm was so appropriate, that he's so vain. The number one silent killer that the Bible speaks of is pride. How many of you deal with pride? Just let me see your hands. You deal with pride. Now, you know, um, those of you who are really prideful, you were probably too proud to raise your hands. And, And I suspect maybe you have a little problem with little white lies as well. But all of us, really, we deal with pride at one level or another. Every one of us have some areas that we deal with pride. For example, if I were to bring out a group picture and you were in that group picture, uh, who's the first person that you look for in that picture? Yourself. You look for yourself. And, and you look for yourself, and if it's a good pi- if it's a good picture of you and a bad picture of everyone else, you don't care. You'd still say it's a good picture, right? Uh, we all deal with that, uh, with pride at one level or another. Uh, you know, if you look at a, a picture and it's bad of everyone else, then it's a, I mean, it's bad of you and good of everyone else, it's a bad picture, right? So we all deal with pride at one level or another. Maybe you've never considered how pride is such a silent, sneaky killer in your relationship with God and others. You see, pride is at the root of every sin in your life. It's at the root of every sin in your life. Do you, do you know what the worst sin is? It's pride. You see, it's not murder. It's not adultery. It's pride. It's the number one silent killer. Andrew Murray said, Pride must die in you or nothing of heaven can live in you. 
Pride must die in you or nothing of heaven can live in you. It's a deadly, deadly killer in our lives. There are two kinds of pride. There's a good pride and there is a bad pride. Now, uh, there's a godly pride, which is a good thing, and then there is an ungodly pride, which is not a not-so-good thing. Now, the good, pride, the good kind of pride is self-respect, uh, it's dignity, it's the love your neighbor as yourself kind of pride. Good pride is a, a satisfaction in a job well done. Good pride, it's the joy in seeing other people succeed and be successful in their life. Good pride is taking good, healthy pride in your family, in your husband, in your wife, in your children, in your job, in your community, and even in your church. But then there's the bad pride. The bad pride is the silent killer, the pride we don't always detect, the pride that we don't always, we're not always willing to admit in our lives. And we don't always see it in ourselves, but others can detect that in our lives. Now, there is a bad pride, and it, uh, I'm going to talk about some bad pride. And there's a bad prize that, pride that says, you're, uh, it says to someone else, you're not as good as I am. I call that a better than you pride. I am better than you pride. Now, it reminds me of the story of a young woman who went to see her pastor, and she said, Pastor, I deal with people, and I need your help. I deal with pride and I need your help. I come to church on Sunday and I can't help thinking that I'm the prettiest girl in the congregation. I know I ought to not think that, but I can't help it and I want your help with it. I really need your help with it. And the pastor, he said to her, Mary, don't you worry about it. In your case, it's not a sin. It's just a horrible mistake. You see... <laughs> The symptoms are that you have a critical attitude, or you have a critical heart, or you want to pick out the faults and you want to criticize others. You're always looking for something someone else does wrong in their life. And, and that's a symptom of, I'm, I am a better than you kind of pride. You see, uh, we, we, we have a critical heart, we have a critical spirit, and we criticize others. We have this holier-than-thou attitude. You know that, that, that I would never do that in my life because I am holier than that. I am spiritually beyond that. I have the corner on the truth. You see, I'm better than you, pride. And then there's the bad pride that says, I can't handle it. I can handle it myself kind of pride. I mean, you don't need our help. You see, if you have a difficult time asking others for help, you're probably dealing with, I can handle it myself pride. It's also the kind of pride that says no one else can do it as well as I do it, so I got to do it. I don't need anybody else's help. You see, if you find it difficult to receive uh, what someone else wants to help you or wants to give you or wants to bless you, but you just find it too difficult to receive because you can handle it yourself. You know, men, like, you know, we don't, we got GPS now, but you know how we used to hate to ask for directions? 
Yeah, because I can handle it myself. I can find my way around. I don't need anybody else's help because I can lift the weight by myself. And then there's it's uh, uh, it doesn't apply to me kind of pride. Now, now those uh, those may be the those may be the rules, and that may be the rule, but those rules don't apply to me. I don't have to follow the rules because they don't apply to me. You see, there's a story about a Muhammad Ali who was supposedly one time on a, an airplane and a flight attendant came up and said, Sir, you need to wear your seatbelt. And Muhammad Ali said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And she looked at him and smiled and said, Superman don't need no airplane either. <laughs> you see, I'm above the rules. I'm above the rules. I say... Uh, you know, you say to yourself, or I say to myself, that I don't, these rules are not for me. And some of us, some of you may even think that you are above the rules. You know, I, I was working on this message in the airplane last night, and because when you're out of town, and you, you know, kind of takes your time, and I was about, I don't know what time it was here, but I was working on a plane, and the plane was going up, and I'd just woken up, because I always fall asleep on takeoff, always, 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 and uh, I, I've never seen a takeoff, I don't think, it's been a long, long time since I have, and, and I woke up, and uh, of course, they were serving the snacks, that's the perfect time to wake up, <laughs> you know, get your Coca-Cola and your pack of chips or whatever. And I started working on my message, and the plane was going up, the seatbelt light was on, this guy beside me just gets up and goes to the bathroom, you know, because the rules don't apply to him. You know, they said, stay seated until the seatbelt light goes off. And I thought, oh, that's a good example for my message that I'm working on. Uh, you know, and, and uh, you know, it might be when uh, uh, you take 25 items to the express checkout line and it says 20 under because it just doesn't apply to you. You know, you can take as many as you want because just because the sign says 20 and under, you take 25 to the express line. Why is that? You think the rules don't apply to you. Or when you drive, you say, I don't need to buckle my seatbelt because the law doesn't apply to me. It doesn't apply to me. I don't need to buckle my seatbelt. Bad pride says, I am above the rules. You think they don't apply. The Bible teaches. The Bible has rules. You know why the Bible has rules? Because God loves us. And God has these rules set up in the Bible. People say, I don't like rules. Well, you call them whatever you want. But God has rules because God loves us. And God wants us to live the kind of life that we won't harm ourselves and harm others and harm our relationships. And so God has these rules that he set up in the Bible. And the Bible teaches that it's adultery, or teaches that it's adultery to, to lust after another woman. And yet there's Christians who regularly look at pornography and you say, it doesn't apply to me. Or, or you live together before you marry because the rules really don't apply to me. They don't apply to me. And then finally, there's I'm never wrong pride. Now, this type of pride will never admit when we're wrong. You know, I, I've struggled with that a lot in my life. And really, the reason I struggle with that, because, you know, I struggle with insecurity. And when we're insecure, we can never be wrong. But there's a pride that says, I am never wrong kind of attitude, kind of pride. It's always somebody else's fault. 
It's my wife's fault that we don't get along. It's my husband's fault that we got a divorce. It's this person's fault. We say, uh, we say, I wouldn't do that if they didn't do what they do. I wouldn't do that. But somebody else made me do it. Somebody else caused me to do it. If they didn't do that, I wouldn't do that. And so you have the I am never wrong kind of pride. Now, now I want to take a moment to look at how this bad pride can be a silent killer in my life. First of all, pride causes conflict. Pride causes conflict. It's at the root of every single human conflict that we have, that other countries have. It comes down to pride. The Bible says in Proverbs 13, pride only breeds quarrels. Only by pride comes contention. Now, the number one thing, the number one thing pride does in causing conflicts is it causes us to refuse to admit that we were wrong. We refuse to admit that I made a mistake. We refuse to say, I'm sorry. Now, I can guarantee you that the, that the family you are in right now or the family you grew up in has conflicts if this is, uh, that, that have never been resolved. And, and, it, and if you are never resolved conflict or co- conflict, you grew up in a family like that, uh, there are some issues in the family you grew up in or, or you're in one now that was never resolved. And so therefore, you always, always have this underlying anger, this underlying situation that you can't get worked out because we have this stubborn pride and we've learned not to deal, uh, not to deal with those kind of things. You see, gossip, anytime you gossip about others, it makes you feel better about yourself, but you're really acting like a prideful person because the Bible says, not, uh, I, my notes are wrong, okay? I put the, this verse is under the next one. Supposed to be under this one. You see the the one that says pride won't forgive? That verse that I'm getting ready to share with you that says, He that is of a proud heart stirs up strife. And nothing stirs up strife more than gossip. And pride is the underlying thing behind gossip because anytime you gossip about others, it makes you feel better about yourself because and you're acting like a prideful person. And nothing stirs up strife and conflict more than gossip. Three, pride won't forgive. Pride won't forgive. Pride holds on to hurt. Pride, pride keeps us keeping score. You know, we got this little, and mentally, uh, we have this little scorebook in our head and we keep score of the wrongs that have been done to us. And when you hurt me, uh, pride makes me less willing to forgive you. It makes me unmerciful. And when we don't forgive, Jesus says, if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. You see, pride will keep you from saying the three most difficult words that humans have to say, and that is, I am sorry. I am sorry. It's the number one killer of relationships. Really, it's the number one roadblock into having a relationship with Jesus Christ, admitting and saying, God, I'm sorry, I'm a sinner. But it destroys relationships. You know, so the, the three most difficult words, I am sorry, or I was wrong, please forgive me. Next, pride keeps us from growing. You can't grow 
spiritually or otherwise, with pride in your heart. You see, pride prevents personal growth. And we have to realize that none of us have arrived, and we all have areas in our life that we need to grow in. But if we're a prideful person, it'll keep us from growing. The Bible says pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Now, you will never learn through pride. It is pride that keeps us stuck in a rut. It is pride that keeps us from getting help with our marriage. It is pride that keeps us from getting help with our finances. It is pride that keeps us from getting help with our children. It is pride that keeps us from getting help with an addiction that we struggle with. You see, it's pride, pride that keeps us from getting help in the life, in our life. And therefore, it is pride that keeps us from growing in those areas of our life that we're stuck in. Pride also causes anxiety. Everything in our culture says, think about yourself. And when we think about ourselves, that creates anxiety. You see, when you're always thinking about yourself, about how you look, or how we act, or how we sound, or how we talk, or how we dress, the more anxious we become. You see, it, it, it's not about you. That's the greatest stress reliever in life. If you could just understand, Rick Warren wrote the best-selling book, one of the best-selling books of all times, The Purpose Driven Life, and the first words in the book were, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about how we look or how we sound or how we talk or how we dress. And that, when we can get past that and realize that it doesn't matter what other people think about us or how they see us. What matters is how God sees us. And God sees us as his children. And God loves us. When we, when we can get over what other people think. And that's a hard one. If we would admit that. I know that's a very difficult one for me. Especially as a pastor. You know, I got a Facebook post the other night. It took me hours. Hours. I got a message on Facebook. It took me hours. Matter of fact, I think I'm still got a little bit in my soul. It just took me hours because, wow, this person had this thought about me. And I'm thinking, man, how? And, and, and when we dwell on that, we're dealing with pride. And pride has, creates anxiety. And I must admit, man, I've had anxiety over that. The Spirit of the Lord just kind of came over me right at that moment. Pride causes anxiety. Proverbs 29, 25 says, It is dangerous to be concerned with what other people think of you. It's a silent killer. Pride angers God. You see, God hates pride. He doesn't put up with it. He hates it. Pride is the sin that got Satan kicked out of heaven. Now, I want, I want you to look at this scripture right here with me just for a moment. I, see the I? I will ascend to heaven. I will rise above my, above my throne, above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the uttermost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the clouds. I will make the most high God. I. Pride can keep us out of heaven. Pride can keep us out of heaven because God hates pride. God hates pride. You see, why? Because pride says, I want to be God. Pride says, I want to be 
I want, I want to run my own life. I want to be the boss of my life. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to do it my own way. I'm going to be my own God. <coughs> it's at the root of everything else. At the center of sin, when you look at the word sin, S-I-N, what is the center of sin? I. I is at the center of sin. What is at the center of pride? I. You see, I. And God hates pride. Exposure to undetected high levels of pride in our lives, like carbon, carbon monoxide, it can be fatal to your relationship with others, and most especially, it can be fatal with your relationship with God. Now, is it, you know, I believe that the Holy Spirit has been here this afternoon, this evening, and, and I'm just wondering, has, has your pride detector sounded today? I mean, has the Holy Spirit kind of tapped you on the shoulder and kind of said, you know what, I struggle in that area of my life. I have that pride in my life. <clears throat> Has the Holy Spirit, our pride detector, detected, detected any pride in your heart? If so, here is the number one preventer of pride. The number one preventer of pride. You know, they say that if you don't want to die of carbon monoxide poisoning, open the doors. Keep a crack in your window or something. The number one preventer of pride and the silent killer of pride is one word. And that word is humility. Humility. Humility is the hallmark of emotional maturity. You see, the, the more emotionally mature you are, the more humble you are. And the more emotionally insecure you are, the more prideful you are. Pride is an evidence that there's insecurity in your life. You see, the more insecure we are, uh, that we feel on the inside, the more we will try to puff up ourselves on the outside. The more we'll say, I'm better than you, kind of thing. The more we'll say, well, the rules don't apply to me. The more we'll say, I'm never wrong. Because we don't want to, we have to keep an image. We have to puff ourselves up. And it's a sign of insecurity in our lives. But the more secure and the more stable you are in your love for God and his love for you, the more humble you are and the more emotionally stable we will become. The Bible says, humble yourself, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. I can't find anywhere in the Bible. I can't find anywhere in the Bible it says for us to pray and ask God to humble us. I gotta be, I gotta be honest with you. I don't want God to humble me. I can't imagine what it might be like if God were to humble me. I mean, I, and, and the Bible says that scripture is clearly, says clearly, humble yourself. Humble yourself. It's something that we have to do. We have to humble ourselves. You see, you don't pray to God, please humble me, because humility is something you do for yourselves. And you must choose. You must choose to say, you know what, I am going to humble myself. Other people humiliate you. But you are, and I am, to humble myself. Well, how do I humble myself? First of all, I admit, I admit my sins honestly. 
I admit that I have the sin of pride in my life. I admit that I am prideful. The Bible says a man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. But if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets another chance. I like second chances. You know, I, I, I believe in a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances. So I admit my sin of pride, honestly. If I want to be humble, I have to, first of all, recognize and admit, hey, I am a prideful person. I do think I'm better than others. Or I do think the rules don't apply to me. Or I do think I'm always right. And I have to humble myself and admit to God. God, you see, we're humbling ourselves. When we confess, God, I am a prideful person. When the Holy Spirit sounds that smoke detector, carbon monoxide detector, that silent killer alarm in your life, we have to say, God, you are right. I'm wrong. I am a prideful person. And we have to humble ourselves and confess our sins. And he is faithful. And he is just. And he will forgive us of all of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Next, we need to stop comparing. I need to stop comparing myself. Each man should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. Now, it says without comparing yourself to somebody else. You see, there's good pride. Each man should test his own action, and then he can take pride in himself. Without, it goes from good pride to bad pride without comparing himself to somebody else. You see, the moment you compare yourself to somebody else, you have now turned pride, pride in who God, who God is in your life and the person that you have become. And when you compare yourself to somebody else, or I do that, it turns into bad pride. It turns into a silent killer in our lives. The Bible teaches us that there's nobody like you in the whole world. You are a unique. And there will never, ever be anybody like you. And you might be thinking in your mind, that's a bad thing. No, that's a good thing. That God created you to be unique. And he knit you together in your mother's womb. That you're fearfully and wonderfully made. And God created you just like you are. And so we don't need to compare ourselves. We don't need to compare our hair and, oh, look at her hair, it's so beautiful. Or your lack of hair. Or your clothes. We don't need to compare our wealth. We don't need to compare our homes. We don't need to compare our wives or husbands to somebody else's wife or husband or our kids to somebody else's kids. You know, I hear people say all the time, oh, I wish my kids acted like their kids. Well, you pray all to see their kids act like they act at home. But it, you know, we don't compare our lawn to our neighbor's lawn. You see, when you compare, you will always find somebody. You will always, when you compare, you will always find somebody with something better than what you have. And you'll always get discouraged if you compare. So we stop comparing. If you want to humble yourself, remember the Bible says humble yourself, you admit Yep, I have the sin. I have sin. I have pride in my life. I humble myself. I humble myself by not comparing myself with others. And then I serve others unselfishly. I serve others unselfishly. Now, one of the greatest cures for pride is giving yourself away to help others. When you're helping others, 
you don't have much time to think about yourself. The way you live more humbly in order to live more happy, happily is give your life away. The Bible says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but do what? I'm going to see if y'all pay attention. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility. In humility, consider others better than yourselves. Look not only to your own interests, but also to the of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of so what was Jesus Christ's attitude? He focused on the needs of others. He helped the poor. He cared for the sick. He, ended, he educated the, the generations. He helped the helpless. He delivered the oppressed. He encouraged the discouraged. You see, he shared the good news with other people. And when you serve others purely, now, when, now believe me, when you serve others purely to help others, and I can't say that I've always served others to help others. Maybe that was a small part of it, but I have served others in my life simply so that I would feel better about myself. That look at me, how I'm serving others. Look at me, how I'm feeding the poor. Look at me, look at me. I can do this. Look at me, I'm doing this. And it really, there's been times in my life that it had nothing to do, very little to do with helping others, but it was serving me. Because other people were looking at me and saying, look at that guy, sir. Look at what she does. But when we serve purely to help others, not to feel better about me, not to feel better have other people look at me and ah, no. When we do that purely to help others, we become more humble. Humility is not saying I'm no good. Humility is not saying I'm nothing. Humility is not saying I'm bad. Humility is not saying I'm junk. You see, Jesus didn't die for junk. Every one of us are extremely valuable to God. Every one of us in this room, watching online, out in the cafe, every one of us are, matter to God. He loves us. He's crazy about us. And he gave his life completely for us. We're not junk. God doesn't die for junk. He didn't die for junk. But humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking less about yourself. You see, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking less about yourself. So if you want to humble yourself and you're not serving, find a place to serve. Serve here at Salem Fields. Go on a mission trip. You know, just find a place to serve. Serve in the community. There's nothing more humbling than serving others when we do it purely to help others. I, I was humbled all over again on our L.A. mission trip this past week. And, and that, that's primarily to serve the poor in the parks and in the streets of L.A. And th in the summertime, we found that when you go to the Dream Center in the, cell, in the summertime, there's a lot of people there. A lot of teenagers go there in the summertime. And so they, don't, they divide the work up, but they don't need as much help. You know what I'm saying? Because there's lots of people there. Because that's where kids go on summer mission trips. And I love it. Man, I love seeing all the teenagers there serving in the streets, sweeping the streets, serving the poor, serving hot dogs, 
doing all that they did. I loved it. And I was walking through the park one day. We pulled in this trailer down, and we were going to serve hot dogs. And they picked out, the people volunteered to serve hot dogs to the poor. See that? And I'm thinking to myself, man, I want to serve the hot dogs. I want to put the hot dogs on the bun. I want to put the ketchup on them. You know, I wanted people to see me. I don't know if that's what I was thinking, but that's what I wanted to do. And they said, no, the rest of you now are going to go through the park. And you're going to pray for people. And I thought, wow, buddy, now you get to practice what you preach. And you know, we started walking through the park, and I was a little shy at first. And I was thinking, Lord, I wanted to work. I wanted to do something. We came out here to work. All I'm doing is walking through the park. I didn't come out. I could walk through the park at home. And I'll never forget Antonio. Walked up to Antonio. He had a smile on his face, not a dime in his pocket. I said to Antonio, can I pray for you? Antonio said, please pray for me. He said, pray for my daddy. My daddy's sick. He said, just pray for me that I know how to take care of my dad. And man, I put my arms around him. And I prayed for Antonio and Fernando, his dad. And I got to tell you, the Spirit of the Lord came over me and reminded me this is the work. This is the work. And I had to humble myself. You know, we have this tendency, and I'm just talking about me. I have this tendency to look at other people and think somehow because I got more or I got better or I got this, that somehow I'm better. But you know what? That guy hurt for his dad, just like I hurt for my dad. That guy, he had something in him. He had Jesus in his life, and he believed in prayer. And I'm thinking, you know, we go on these mission trips, and sometimes we think, boy, we're going to just do this for this other person. And that's what we got to do. But I believe 90% of the time, the reason we're on a mission trip is because God wants to do something in us. Antonio did something in my life. I can close my eyes and see this little guy about this tall pushing the uh, grocery basket and looking up at me and saying, thank you so much for praying for me. I really needed that today. And I got to tell you, I got a new bounce in my step, and I prayed for every person I came upon, Muslims, people that they, didn't, they couldn't put their thoughts together. And I said, God, forgive me that I thought somehow I was above this. But somehow I was above this. There's nothing more humbling than serving. So lastly, to become a humble person, I must surrender fully to God. You see, surrendering to God requires that I humble myself before the Lord. How, how do you humble yourself before the Lord? By, by expressing the very fact that you're totally dependent on God. In the first beatitude, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. That means those who are humble. That means those who know they are spiritually broke and poor and they need God and they know that they don't have the power within themselves <coughs> to live a humble life. You see, the secret to power in your life, to humble yourself, starts with a humble attitude that says, God, I need you. God, I want you to be in charge of my life. God, I want, I want you to be the boss. God, I want you to be Lord of my life. God, I'm absolutely dependent upon you. I'm nothing, O oh Lord, but hay and stubble, what I do on my own strength. But God, what you do in me, 
God, I need your help to get rid of this deadly, deadly disease, sin, and pride in my life. I can't do it on my own. I can't humble myself on my own. I must surrender. I said earlier that the, the letter I was at the center of both pride and sin and, and that I must go. And surrendering fully to God is the only way we can break free from death, the death grip that sin and pride has on us. Sin and pride have a death grip on us. And how do I live a humble life and get that stubborn eye out of the way that causes so many problems in my life? How do I rid my life of pride? That the I must be crucified. Paul said, I, indeed, I, the I, I have been crucified with Christ. I have surrendered my life to Christ. I have said, Lord, not my will be done, but your will be done. I have been crucified with Christ. My ego, my ego is no longer central. It's no longer important that I appear righteous before you or you or have a, your good opinion. I am no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine. It is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. And I'm not going to back down from that. What's that mean? Well, for me, it means I have to die. I have to die to what you think about me. I have, to, I have to give up my way of doing things. I have to give up my will. I have to give up my past. I have to give up my distorted view of myself. I have to give up my future, my relationships, my finances, my everything. That's what that verse means to me. You say, God, here is my life. I have died. God, I surrender. Why? Because when I hold on to me and my way, I live a prideful and sinful life. And so I have to die. Paul says, for when we die, we are set free from the power of sin. When I go, when I go, so goes pride. This is the heart of humility. So what's the payoff? What's the promise of living a humble life? The Bible says true humility, true humility and fear of the Lord, that means respect for God, lead to riches, honor, and long life. How many of you would like to, to, to enjoy riches? How many of you would like to enjoy the riches of God? I'm not talking about just financially. How, 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 many, of you, how many of you would like to live a life of honor and live a long life? If that's true, it's time to humble yourself. It's time to humble yourself. If you have an, if you have an I'm better than you pride or I, can't, I can do it myself pride or, or this doesn't apply to me pride or I'm never wrong pride, humble yourself. Admit your sin of pride and surrender fully to God. Ask for and receive his help. And you too, will enjoy his riches, his honor, and a long life. Let's pray together. Father, we bow before you this evening, Lord, and humbly acknowledge, Lord, I humbly acknowledge, Lord, 
my absolute dependence on you, Lord. Father, I just pray tonight, Lord, that as a church, as a body of believers here at Salem Fields Community Church, Lord, that we would truly humble ourselves and that we would submit ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives. I pray, O oh God, that you would have your way and your will. Can we all stand as we close out our time together? Maybe you're here tonight and your pride detector went off. And maybe the Holy Spirit spoke to you. And maybe there's an area of pride in your life that you need to fully surrender to God. That you know, that you just know, that you know, that you struggle with that area of pride in your life. And you need to admit that tonight. Just need to admit to God. God, I'm a prideful person. So let's just bow our heads and just continue the spirit and attitude of worship just for a moment. If that's you tonight, and you would say, you know what? That's me. That's me. Would you just admit to God tonight, not to me, not to your wife, not to your neighbor, but just admit to God tonight, God, I struggle with pride. That's some areas of my life. Maybe you're even too prideful to admit that you're prideful. And you need God's power, and you need God's strength, and you need to get humble yourselves. And I just want to, I want to encourage you right now. If that's you tonight, and you're struggling with pride, and you've admitted, now I just want to ask you to do something maybe you've never done in your life, and maybe you think it's ridiculous. I don't know how you think, but I know it's biblical. Maybe it comes to that point where it's time for you to surrender, to surrender completely and totally to God where you don't have to be in control of things you don't have to be the person or the man or the woman that you just want to humbly serve God and serve others I just want to invite you tonight to humble yourselves and surrender to God and so I came in on the tail end I'm not even sure what the song is tonight but I know it will be appropriate and if you'd like to just humble yourself before God and say to God, God, I am dependent upon you. I need you, God. And you're ready to settle and crucify that I in your life and live a life of humility. I'm talking true humility, biblical humility. I'm going to invite you tonight to come and pray, to pray in your seat, to pray standing up, to pray kneeling at your seat. But I just think, really, when it comes to the point of crucifixion, when it comes to the point of crucifixion of dying to yourself, maybe sometimes it just helps to kneel at the cross. To kneel and pray. So, Father, I'm just asking you right now to take total, complete authority over this service. Your authority. We pray the darkness, the devil, we pray the devil out of this place. We pray, pray the blood of Jesus Christ over this place, Lord. And we ask, Lord, that your spirit would fall fresh in you upon us right now. Can we sing together, worship together, however God leads you right now? Just be obedient.
Maybe it's just time for you to empty yourself of yourself. I did that in the park in L.A. again this week. So as we worship together, do as God would have you to do. If you are a new Christian and would like to know what to do next or where to go from here, you will want to get a free Next Step packet that contains reading materials and useful resources that will point you in the right direction. For more information, please contact Salem Fields Community Church at 540-786-6212 or visit our website at salemfields.com or email us at podcast at salemfields.com.